2: i <laughs> Welcome to The Daily Beans for Monday, October 23rd, 2023. Today, Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesbrough pled guilty in Fani Willis' sprawling Georgia election interference racketeering case. Alex Jones is prohibited from filing bankruptcy to prevent himself from paying damages in the Sandy Hook defamation cases. The State Department is circulating a memo about Russian election interference. Jim Jordan has lost his third speaker bid. Trump risks jail by violating his New York civil fraud trial gag order. A manhunt is underway for the murder of a Maryland judge. A Detroit synagogue president is found fatally stabbed outside her home. The U.S. push for release of hostages has delayed the Israeli ground war. Texas installs another illegal barrier at the border. And a judge rejects four more procedural hurdles filed by Trump to stop the Colorado 14th Amendment lawsuit. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. I hope you had a great weekend. Uh, Pete and I had a great time on Friday's patron happy hour with Clean Up on L45 and Daily Beans podcast patrons. Thank you for that. And uh, there is a new episode of Jack Out. Uh, Just came out Sunday. Check that out. And I hope the patrons of this program enjoyed my weekly wrap up that came out uh, yesterday as well. Dana's out this week. She's traveling, raising money for some amazing causes. So I'll be holding down the fort. But I have a big week of guests planned, including the host of Tell Me Everything on Serious XM Progress, John Fugel Sang, Mr. Justice Matters himself, Glenn Kirshner, the incredible Georgia reporter for Lawfare, Anna Bauer, Palm Beach County District Attorney, Dave Ehrenberg, and today, I'll be joined by my co-host of the Cleanup on Owl 45 podcast and author of the book Compromised, former counterintelligence chief at the FBI, Pete Strzok. So I'm looking forward to that interview. I do have a couple of quick hits today before we get to the hot notes. To make a long story short. Too late. All right, first up, Sidney Powell and Kenneth Cheesebro, the Cheese and Kraken, have pled guilty in the Fulton County RICO case. And that brings us down to 16 defendants, if you add Scott Hall, who also pled guilty a while ago, And I'm sure more will follow. The dominoes are falling. Andy and I, Andy McCabe, we discussed the implications on the federal election interference case on the latest episode of Jack. And Pete and I are going to cover the implications in Georgia on this Wednesday's Cleanup on All 45. But I had to tell you about it because it is big news. Uh, A Colorado judge has rejected four more procedural hurdles in the suit to keep him off the ballot. Pursuant to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that says, sorry, you can't insurrect shit and also run for office. Now, the GOP, I'm paraphrasing the Constitution there, but the GOP had argued that it has the right to choose primary candidates and any screening by the secretary of state of ineligible candidates would violate its First Amendment rights. But the judge said, nope, it is the U.S. Constitution that is supreme law of the land, not internal political party rules. So that suit is continuing for the time being. Jim Jordan has lost his third ballot for Speaker of the House and then was ousted as Speaker designee. There are now nine candidates for Speaker, and only two are not election deniers. That's Emmer and Austin. We'll see what happens this week, but the shit show continues. Remember, as long as there is no Speaker, the government will shut down and the ethics investigation into uh, Matt Gates won't continue. So again, I think it's a feature and not a bug. I think it's on purpose. And Donald Trump has been fined $5,000 for violating Judge Angoron's gag order. Now, if you're losing track, he's the judge presiding over the New York Attorney General's civil fraud trial in New York. Trump risks jail if he continues violating that order. Pete and I will go in-depth on Wednesday's cleanup on All 45 And meanwhile, in D.C., Judge Chutkin has granted a very short stay on her limited gag order and has given Trump just a few days to file his appeal with her. And according to Bloomberg News, Israel supports U.S. diplomatic efforts to get Hamas to release hostages from Gaza quickly and in large numbers, a move that could delay and possibly alter its ground war. That's according to people familiar with the negotiations. And, quote, earlier this month, Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced the placement of razor wire fencing along the Texas-New Mexico border north of the Rio Grande near Sunland Park, New Mexico. This is the latest Operation Lone Star stunt funded by the Working Texas Families Tax Dollar that will result in environmental damage, community division and injuries of vulnerable migrants. That is from a joint statement from New Mexico and Texas Democrats. I am assuming the DOJ will intervene. We will see and I'll let you know. All right. We have a lot of news to get to today. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up from Michael Birnbaum at The Washington Post. Russia's long-running efforts to weaken the world's democracies have expanded in recent years to sow public doubt in election integrity, according to a declassified State Department cable disclosed Friday, which says the U.S. intelligence community found evidence that Russian actors made a concerted effort to undermine faith in the voting process in at least nine countries, including the United States, between 2020 and 2022. We file this in the no shit category, but... It's the State Department who's putting out this memo and without Trump in office, we're allowed to talk about Russian election interference. By the way, I added that that wasn't part of The Washington Post story. Now, during that period, the intelligence community also found that in 17 additional countries, there was a less pronounced level of Russian social media activity and other quote unquote messaging aimed at amplifying pre-existing domestic narratives questioning election integrity. And it's the pre-existing narratives that really does it. Right. Because that's what Russia does. They find something that already exists and then they use it to drive a wedge uh, in between people that would otherwise be voting to preserve democracy. The U.S. intelligence community has routinely highlighted what it portrays as Moscow's ongoing scheme to subvert elections and destabilize democratic countries. But the State Department cable said that such tactics appear to be evolving with a specific goal of eroding trust in the basic administration of elections. Notably, the document says there's little evidence that the Chinese government is similarly focused. The cable, dated Wednesday of last week, is intended to be shared with the governments of more than 100 democracies around the world. That's according to a senior State Department official who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss a sensitive internal effort. U.S. diplomats and intelligence officials plan to meet with partner nations to detail the threats to their election systems posed by Russia, potentially with an eye to encouraging other countries to expel Russian diplomats or take other measures to try to combat the efforts. Quote, our insights suggest that Russia is focused on carrying out operations to break public confidence in election integrity and that they are doing so on a global scale. That's a senior U.S. intelligence official also speaking on the condition of anonymity. Quote, our information indicates that senior Russian government officials, including the Kremlin, see value in this type of influence operation and perceive it to be effective in undermining confidence in the outcomes and legitimacy of the elected government. Now, the cable cited an example of one 2020 election in an unidentified European country in which the Russian Federal Services Security Agency, also known as the FSB, covertly attempted through proxies to deploy agitators to intimidate campaign workers, organize protests on election day, and sabotage overseas voting. Hmm, sounds familiar. During a 2022 election in an unidentified South American country, the cable said Russia used the messaging app Telegram to cede false coverage of alleged fraud, and Russian trolls used multiple social media platforms to amplify concerns about post-election instability. I remember that happening. The Russian government has denied that it seeks to subvert other countries' elections, although the former head of the Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, did say last year he had worked to interfere in U.S. elections. A 2018 federal indictment charged him with running the troll factory, in which his workers tried to cede conflict on Facebook, Twitter, and other platforms ahead of the 2016 election. Progozhin was killed in August when his plane exploded after leading an uprising against the Russian military's handling of the war in Ukraine earlier this year. Next up from the Associated Press a Texas judge has ruled that InfoWars host Alex Jones cannot use bankruptcy protection to avoid paying the more than $1.1 billion to families who sued over his conspiracy theories that Sandy Hook School Massacre was a hoax. The decision is another significant defeat for Alex Jones in the wake of juries in Texas and Connecticut punishing him over spreading falsehoods about the nation's deadliest school shooting. U.S. District Judge Christopher Lopez of Houston issued this ruling on Thursday. Jones filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection last year, and more recent financial documents submitted by his attorneys put his personal net worth around $14 million. But Lopez ruled those protections do not apply over findings of willful and malicious conduct. Quote, the families are pleased with the court's ruling that Jones's malicious conduct will find no safe harbor in the bankruptcy court. Now, it's Christopher Matei, a Connecticut lawyer for the families. Quote, as a result, Jones will continue to be accountable for his actions into the future, regardless of his claimed bankruptcy. An attorney for Jones did not immediately return a message seeking comment on Friday. On his InfoWars website, Jones posted a video saying the judge's ruling will have little practical effect because he is over a million dollars in debt personally and has little to pay the Sandy Hook families. He also said he continues to appeal the verdicts. Quote, it's all academic. I don't have a million dollars, he said. My company has a few million, but that's just to pay the bills and my product in the future. So we are literally on empty. So this idea that we're going to take your money away doesn't exist because the money doesn't exist. It's all political. At the end of the day, they won't take my free speech away, he said. I'm still going to be on the air one way or another. After 26 people were killed by a gunman at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut in 2012, Jones made a false conspiracy theory. He made it the centerpiece of his programming on his flagship InfoWars show, and he's been telling his audience to donate to him and shop on the InfoWars website so he can keep doing his program and pay his legal fees. But Jones's personal spending topped $93,000 in July alone, including thousands of dollars on meals and entertainment. That's according to his monthly financial reports in his bankruptcy case. The spending struck a nerve with Sandy Hook families as they have yet to collect a dime from the money that the juries awarded them. Now, Sandy Hook families won nearly $1.5 billion in judgments against Jones last year in their lawsuits over repeated promotions of false theories that the school shooting never happened. The amount of money Jones owes Sandy Hook families could grow even larger. Another lawsuit is pending in Texas, brought by the parents of six-year-old Noah Posner, one of the children slain in the attack. A trial date has not yet been set. And from NBC News. Absolute tragedy. A Detroit synagogue president was found fatally stabbed outside her home Saturday morning. Samantha Wool, 40, led the congregation of Isaac Agree Downtown Synagogue, which confirmed Wool's death in a statement. Quote, We are shocked and saddened to learn of the unexpected death of Samantha Wool, our board president. May her memory be a blessing. On Saturday evening, Detroit Police Chief James E. White asked the public for patience as resources poured into the investigation. He promised an update Sunday morning. I'm asking that everyone remain patient while investigators carefully examine every aspect of the available evidence. It is important that no conclusions be drawn until all of the available facts are reviewed. ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, Michigan, the state chapter also asked Michiganders to refrain from speculating on motive, Quote, as we mourn her tragic passing, we urge the community to refrain from speculation and allow law enforcement to gather facts. Authorities said a 911 caller earlier Saturday reported a person lying on the ground unresponsive at Wool's home. Police discovered multiple stab wounds on Wool's body and found a trail of blood leading to her house where they believe the crime occurred. Wool had ties to state Democrats. She previously worked for Representative Alyssa Slotkin and served on State Attorney General Dana Nessel's re-election campaign. Nessel expressed shock and horror at her death. She said, Sam was a kind person, as kind a person as I've ever known. She was driven by her sincere love of her community, state and country. Sam truly used her faith and activism to create a better place for everyone. Also from NBC, there's a $10,000 reward offered for information that leads to the arrest of a man accused of fatally shooting a Maryland judge in a targeted attack outside his home. The U.S. Marshal Service said Friday it's seeking the public's help in finding Pedro Argoté, 49, who is wanted in connection with the Thursday killing of Washington County Circuit Judge Court Andrew Wilkinson. Wilkinson was shot hours after he gave Argoté's estranged wife custody of their four minor children. On Saturday, a resident of the Williamsport, Maryland area near the West Virginia border found an SUV belonging to Argote at about 11 a.m. Washington County Sheriff Brian K. Albert said that at a news conference. It wasn't clear how long the vehicle had been there, and an initial search turned up no weapons. Authorities said earlier that Argote might be driving a 2009 Mercedes-Benz GL450, the full-size SUV. Deputies, marshals, and local police were combing through remote woods around Saturday's discovery. We're going to catch this guy, he said. It's just a matter of time. Argote has ties to multiple areas outside Maryland, including Brooklyn and Long Island, Columbus, Indiana, and Tampa, and also Clearwater. And that's in Florida. and That's the marshal service telling everyone that in a news release. He also has connections to unknown locations in North Carolina. Although authorities said Agote should be considered armed and dangerous, any sightings should be reported to police immediately. Albert says he doesn't believe residents in and around Williamsport are in danger. We don't feel the community is at risk, he said. We just ask you, you avoid the search area. Wilkinson was the judge in Argote's divorce case, filed in June 22, at a hearing Thursday morning, hours before the shooting, just hours before the shooting. He had granted Argote's wife an absolute divorce from him as well as sole legal custody of their four children, ages 12, 11, 5, and 3. Argoté did not attend the hearing. Wilkinson ordered Argoté not to contact or visit the children and barred him from contacting his former wife unless she initiated it for the purpose of using a 2009 Mercedes for necessary shopping trips and medical appointments. Argoté was also banned from entering the family home and ordered to pay $1,120 a month in child support. The judgment attributed the decision to a finding of cruelty of treatment and irreconcilable differences. That's what Albert said Friday, that the shooting was in response to the custody decision. In June 2022, the wife filed a domestic violence petition against Argote, alleging there had been physical abuse against one of their daughters. She wrote that she felt unsafe because Argote would keep a weapon on him, and she feared he would try to take the children away from her. She also accused him of harassing her through emails and text messages, watching her through the home's security cameras and controlling her emotionally and financially. The petition was dismissed less than two weeks after she filed it. Attorney Michael Gast, who briefly represented Argote in the case, said Saturday that he persuaded the wife's attorney to dismiss the petition because Gast felt there was a lack of evidence. He declined to elaborate. Gast, who removed himself after having represented Argote for about three months, said that his former client was a, quote, very quiet guy and that he was surprised by the alleged crime. Yeah, they're always very quiet guys. I have a personal experience with this being controlled, coerced, filmed, recorded, tracked, stalked. It's terrifying. And I know the Supreme Court is getting ready to hear a case about whether people who have restraining orders for domestic violence against them should be allowed to have firearms. That's terrifying to me. All right. We need your good news. Send it to us at DailyBeansPod.com. Click on contact. We'll get to the good news. But first, I want to talk to Pete Strzok about the Russian election interference story. And we'll do that right after the break. Stick around. We'll be right back.
0: After these messages, we'll be right back.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by my co-host of Clean Up on Aisle 45, also the author of Compromised: uh, Counterintelligence and the Threat of Donald John Trump. Please welcome Pete Struck. Hey Allison, it's great to talk to you
3: outside of the context of all of Trump's crime. <laughs> we can we can talk about <laughs> we can talk about more problems like his counterintelligence vulnerabilities.
2: Yes, so. more problems. Um, so every I you know everybody's familiar with the story from the Washington Post that I spoke about in the, uh, in the a block there. Uh, but I really wanted to get, uh, an expert's opinion on this because when I read it, I felt like, yeah. And like, I didn't fee, I didn't, this didn't seem like news to me. And I'm wondering why it's being treated as such.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this isn't something that is particularly novel. I we saw it, you know, going back to 2016 in the U S that, you know, various U S reports indicated that, the Russians were actively probing election infrastructure, uh, presumably with the goal of undermining faith in the electoral process. And while the, the federal government didn't say who those states were, at least Ron DeSantis, I think in Florida said, yeah, we were like, there were some systems in Florida that were breached by the Russians. But I think this, I mean, look, it, it, it it's not just talking about the United States, at least according to the article, it talks about 17, at least 17 nations overseas. It seems like something the journalist who wrote about it has the State Department beat, and this is a State Department cable, so it strikes me as a little bit of like State Department PR trying to highlight the fact that there's uh, you know, a threat broadly from Russia to try and undermine faith in uh, the voting process. And again, that's a fertile place if you're Russia to try and attack. They've done it in the past. I would expect they'd do it now and in 2024, but... You're right. I, I, this is not something I didn't, reading through it, I, I didn't see anything in there that was like, holy cow, this is this is new and a, a profound shift in what the Russians are doing. It, it is very much, I think, in line with what they've been trying to do. And I think something, you know, very common sense, right? Given the way that Trump in particular, but others are trying to say and hang every act on, you can't trust the vote for the Russians to sort of glom onto that makes too much sense. And that they would do it not only in the US, but around the world to generally undermine democracy makes total, makes total sense. I mean, it's a good point, but there's nothing new here in my mind.
2: I think the only thing new, I think the only thing that shifted is the fact that we don't have Donald Trump uh, in the White House anymore. And so we're allowed to talk about Russian election interference in the State Department or at the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, we don't have to take the word Russia out of reports we don't have to curb or curtail our our briefings to Congress or or our State Department memos I think that's actually the shift that somebody should probably be focusing on that we're now actually allowed to point this out but you're right there's I think that the the document that came out over a hundred democracies are being targeted and they gave some very specific examples well, uh, vague examples, uh, a South American country, I think, a European country. Pete, why don't they tell us where this is happening? Or is that up to those individual countries to make those, to call that out?
3: I mean, I think, look, at the end of the day, my read was that they're sharing it with at least 100 democratic nations around the world. This is kind of a a sort of like the equivalent of a DHS terror bulletin, but the State Department is giving the democracies around the world. I think some of them, you know, on, on the sophisticated side, you know, if, if the some Paul, political econ officer goes and briefs his French counterpart, the French counterpart is going to say, yeah, no shit. But I, I, I don't, again, depending <laughs> on, I don't know that yeah, are- Yeah, thanks for time,
2: Time about time you caught up with us, United States. Yeah, I, I, that, I think this
3: is more, you're right. I, we don't have um, John Ratcliffe running around directing everybody to, you must include China, you must include Iran. It's just talking about, and in fact, according to this, it says the US doesn't see China doing it. In other words, it is just a Russia thing you, you see even specifically saying- China isn't.
2: That's another big difference. Right. You're right. I didn't think about that because that was something that he was doing specifically, making sure that China and Iran were included in these types of bulletins. And now now they're specifically saying that China is not. Right. And generally,
3: like in in terms of diplomacy, usually you don't want to put the onus on, you don't want to put the spotlight on other nations, right? You don't want to say we brief the list of these 92 countries because then all of a sudden each and every one of those countries start getting questions from their electorate, getting questions from their press. So you know you just say, hey, we're going to do it. And if those foreign nations decide they want to say, oh, we got this briefing from the Department of State, they can do it. But you let let the foreign governments decide how they want to handle it and how they want to handle like the, the, the public nature or not of getting that briefing. But again, this strikes me a little bit like, you know, thinking back to those, you know, the, the, Th- the bullshit weaponization committee when they brought in all those t- ex Twitter employees who were sitting there saying, yeah, you know, the FBI came to talk to us and really, well, we kind of knew all of it. And I'm not sure why it felt like a waste of our time. But, we you know, we heard them out because they were just trying to come to give us information. I think it's the same sort of thing, but it does highlight and I would read it. Separate from this article, if you're on the Washington Post, there's an amazing article talking about Russian disinformation in sub-Saharan Africa and how it has been used across uh, several uh, sub-Saharan West African nations to install pro-Russia regimes. And it's, there's a lot of detail in it. And I think it came out last night. And that, compared to this article, that was like very like, wow, shit, it, it's, it's, there is a lot of effort being put into sub-Saharan Africa by Russia and even post-Purgosian, wherever Wagner is or isn't going, that desire to stay involved in meddling in the political sphere and using disinformation in that context, that was a great article. This one, eh. But-
2: Yeah. and But, you know, you couple that with um, the kind of increase in Russian disinformation we're seeing on the former Twitter platform, uh, now known as X, I still call it Twitter, that I think is- maybe by design um (laughs) but you know we just had the um supreme court steve vladek who is a a really great con law professor and an expert at supreme court um the supreme court has just frozen the louisiana district's court ruling that would have barred contacts wide range of contacts between executive branch officials the biden administration and social media companies so of course alito and thomas and gorsuch dissented
3: gorsuch said yeah we we would have we would have like Stop the government. Right.
2: Right. But but I think that that as being allowed to go forward right now is uh, like I'm breathing a huge sigh of relief because that is exactly the kind of of stuff that needs to be uh, tamped down. And I think that, you know, when we find out through Hunter Biden's lawsuit against Rudy Giuliani that they all hacked him and, you know, stole all of his stuff that maybe it was the right thing to do to suppress that New York Post story on on Twitter. And I, I, so talk a little bit about the implications of, of the Supreme Court uh, freezing that that Louisiana judge's decision.
3: Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I'm glad they stayed that district court decision. On the other hand, I am concerned about, you know, given this already... Group of three that indicated that they'd leave it in place. I don't know where your swing votes are going to go in this. But I, look, a couple of things that, on a on a tactical level, what really bothered me about the district court uh, finding, which again your your listeners may remember was issued with great flourish on the fourth of July, because what judge issues any uh, f- ruling on the fourth of July except some? The
2: only judge in the district.
3: R- r- right, the only judge in the district <laughs> who's an attention whore looking to make a splash. But the problem was. Folks, I don't know, need to understand the huge amount of data that went into the briefings calling for this injunction that the judge then adopted that came from fucking Matt Taibbi and the Twitter files debacle. And I think there's a real question if you start looking at people like Taibbi, particularly if you go a little bit further and look at folks like Grayzone News, I think there is a lot that will come to be known about the motivations and particularly the funding that are going into a lot of the people who are writing notionally about, you know, the government should be out of the business of content moderation. And I do think that is a very fertile ground for, you know, in particular Russian intelligence to play, even if it's just funding. Now, I'm not sitting here saying any of these folks are like witting recruited Russian assets, but I do think the, the, the sort of journalistic integrity, in my opinion, from the Twitter files was shit. It was horrible. It was. And, uh, you know, the more we find out after the fact. They want to
2: get regulation off.
3: No, it's, it's, and, and the, you know, the closest thing that we came to the government interfering and demanding things being taken down was the Trump administration, right?
2: Saying we want you to. Right. Pussy ass bitch. Right, right. So if you want to talk about it, that was it, the the Chrissy Teigen tweet. By the way, I, that wasn't what I was. Yeah, uh, no, to she's you. my
3: hero. She will always be a hero for for, <laughs> for that comment. I I have to like men using the the p word is is fraught, but I I do appreciate her uh, accuracy and candor on that point. But as a as a former counterintelligence professional, there is no question in my mind that the resources of the federal government. They're going to be able to develop intelligence information about foreign manipulation on social media that social media companies will never get, right? Twitter and Meta and Alphabet do not go about recruiting sources within the Russian intelligence services or the Chinese intelligence services or anywhere else. So they might see things, they might and probably do have great uh, ability to see some stuff, but there will always be data that the federal government gets about what hostile foreign nations are doing with malign intent, and it makes no sense to me that anybody should say, well, the federal government should not be able to share that, which is what was going on. And that is Taibbi's misdirection at the end of the day. That is the underlying, the core bullshit at the heart of the Twitter files, is that the government was somehow directing people to take it down, and that's not what was going on. The government was saying, we are seeing these indicators of foreign actors acting in a coordinated way to put forth disinformation or to amplify disinformation. It wasn't, other than Trump, it wasn't take this down, take that down. So again, it, it it's a lot of people with a lot of different motivations. I'm I'm glad the Supreme Court stated it, but I I don't know what their final ruling looks like because Alito and Thomas and Gorsuch aren't going to change their mind. They don't give a fuck. They're gonna, you know, if this with the if this was something that was hurting Democrats, their vote would be different. But that's you know should surprise no one.
2: No, it's it's clear to me that um, actors like Saudi Arabia, Russia, Iran, China, probably all would like there to be um, no government involvement allowed in the monitoring of social media so that they can spread their disinformation. They are basically and, and, but calling it First Amendment expression, right? They're basically saying the First Amendment gives us the right to lie and spread disinformation and you have to stay out of it. Uh, They're not framing it like that, but that's basically what they're asking for. And like you said, the government wasn't telling people to take stuff down. They were just like I can do on Twitter. I can go file a report about a tweet saying that I think it's disinformation. The government can do that, too. Anybody can do that. It was content moderation. And and the Twitter people, um, you know, they testified to that. So we'll we'll see what ends up happening. But that's the global push, isn't it? And I think that they're they're trying to do that with with this Washington you know Post story, with this memo. That's a warning. Like, look, they're trying to come out here and take away our faith in the election process. And they're doing it by spreading disinformation on social media platforms um, and other ways, too. You know, I think in one of the situations they had some people monitoring elections, uh, you know, like overseeing them or, you know, being a one of those uh, polling workers that were like sort of interfering with stuff and tampering with things. So, I mean, they do it a lot of ways, but social media is the big, the big damn way. And, you know, Saudi Arabia is, is hugely invested in X now, and I don't see them pushing back on Russian disinformation. <laughs> Yeah,
3: no and it's going it's going to go from bad to worse I mean I think it everybody was watching as as Elon slashed the trust and safety staff on Twitter and how like it turned into a cesspool I mean it's essentially close to 4chan at this point but with that reduction uh, should be to no one's surprise when suddenly we have a you know a war breaking out between uh, Gaza and Israel that their Twitter and acts is full of uh, disinformation and you know bullshit community notes that are being thrown up there I it, it, that's not surprising, but that's mild compared to what's going to come. And I just worry that, you know, the press, and there was an interesting, again, looking at the, the media's inability to learn the lessons of the past. The Washington Post had an interesting, I think it was the Post, interesting article about, hey, you know, all the congressional reporters really we're taking, not taking a very critical look at some of the, the vote estimations and everybody thought that Jordan had a much greater chance than he actually did. And we should have been a little more skeptical of what we were reading on social media. And it's like, well, okay, how many, how many years does it take you to learn that lesson? Right. I mean, we're in 2023. If you did not learn that lesson in 2015 and 2016, I don't know what is going to cause you to learn that lesson, but you better get your shit together because we're, 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 Twelve months away, essentially from the general election.
2: And I guarantee you, Russia is going to exploit the the divide in Democrats over the Israel Hamas war that that we're seeing. I mean, and not just Democrats, but Independents or you know anybody. I mean, there's a lot of uh, very strong feelings uh, about this, and that is going to be exploited uh, in the next year. I guarantee it.
3: Yeah, and you know, to Trump's model, it, it's like everything else. Hey, just delay it and let me do the rest, right? How many times oh, he yeah. said that? Just say something and I'll take it from there. If you're Russia, all you need to do is like find, pick pick a swing state, get into one county, get a screenshot of voter data that's not public, God forbid, change a little bit of it, and then post that. And then let Trump or whoever it is run wild with that, talking about, see, here's the proof that this stuff was all bogus. It was all changed. You don't need to, to undermine and create doubt. I mean, that doubt's already there, let alone... Like, I mean, you could create a deep fake of it, a a falsified record. But I think, you know, given part of the thing, too, that your your listeners may or may not know, it's not the federal government doesn't have some standard for, for voting systems. Those are by design given to the states and the counties independently do that so it's not like the federal government can come in and say you must not use this system or use the system or implement the security protocol that's a that's a state issue voting the infrastructure and conduct of the voting so you have as many different systems as there are counties in the united states of america now there are not a lot of infrastructure producers right you still have smartmatic and dominion and they're not that many But the fact is, if I'm on the Russian side, if I'm on the Russian cyber side trying to hack in, I've got a target list of every county in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Ohio, you know, pick Arizona, pick your swing state. And all I need to do, Allison, is find one and get in there and delete 2000 records or change 2000 records or just take a screenshot of all the voters with their home address and then post that. And then wherever Trump doesn't win or wherever he's behind, he just takes that tweet and amplifies it and says, see, look, it's fraud. I I, I really didn't lose. Yep. So I'm not, you know, the the government made a lot of noise. And I think accurately that, you know, 2020 was the safest election we've had in our nation's history. But I hope nobody is, has a, a complacent sense of we've got this covered because I don't think we've got this covered. No,
2: I don't think anybody in this administration does. So hopefully we'll be they'll be looking for that um and also by the way the fact that the states are the ones to administer their own elections is something that might uh end up help putting donald trump in prison because of what he did on january 6th so
3: right right and as you can hear if you tune in to clean up on i45 we that is (laughs) georgia is arizona is michigan is because it is the states who do this either both the conduct of the elections is in 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 addition to the whole electoral process that those are the factors that provide some durability to the criminal justice system when you get somebody trying to uh, stage a multifaceted insurrection with so much crime, so much. Yeah, crime. It
2: also puts the president and his chief of staff and his lawyers out of the realm of the outer perimeters of their job to have anything to do with these states' elections. So that, you know, those were all many of the reasons that all of their motions to dismiss have been and will be thrown out. So we'll we'll see. We'll be following I it. I hope
3: the Circuit Court of Appeals agrees with you on that. I think they will, <laughs> but, but we'll we'll see. I think, I, I, I don't see how they could not possibly do anything other than agree that this was not within even the outer bounds of his official duties.
2: I'm sure they will. And and I'm sure the Supreme Court will too. Otherwise they open up the door to having President Biden put in all sorts of safeguards for elections. Uh, other
3: than Thomas Alito and uh... so <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: All right, thank you so much for joining me today talking about this, talking about this story. Everybody, you need to get your copy of Compromised if you haven't. Um, it's it's truly an incredible book. Plus, you get the entire ghost stories in there, which you don't want to miss. So everybody pick it up. It's called Compromised. It's by Pete Strzok. And check us out over on Clean Up on All 45 this Wednesday. Pete, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, of course, Allison. Great to talk. Everybody, uh, we'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? near good news good news and if you have any good news confessions corrections you want to play what the mutt opine on the bovine find the cat uh, what the heck wine where i guess so i guess i guess horse breeds cow breeds i only know one i find cats in pictures where they're hiding and we guess your dog breeds as well especially if you have one of those rescue babies um that you've maybe done a dna test with or or not we'll just guess and then you know we have a better chance of being right when we don't know the right answers so that's always fun. Uh, if you want to send us baby pictures or frog orgy photos, that's the thing now. I have a wonderful collection of incredible art of frog orgies from listeners. Thank you so much for sending all those in uh, to me. Um, if you want to send me something, our address is on our website, dailybeanspod.com. Uh, if you want to give a shout out to a loved one or yourself, something cool you're doing. If you want to send us your theses or dissertation titles, those are fun. Whoopie stories, blankie stories, stuffed animal stories. Um, shout out to a local business in your area that could use uh, some support or your local business. I know we've got a lot of entrepreneurs and makers and creators here in the Leguminati. You can send that to us. Whatever you your little heart desires, send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up, from Punk Rock Liberal, pronouns he and him. Hi, Beans Queens. Y'all are awesome. And I look forward every day to your podcast. I listen to all three. Thank you, Punk Rock Liberal. I've become the guy at work to find out what shenanigans are afoot in the United States. I'm in Canada, by the way. Good news. About a year and a half ago, I traveled to Ukraine to help a family I met on Airbnb by trying to rent their Airbnb to send some money directly to someone affected by the war. I went to pick up the daughter who was still in Ukraine and bring her to Polanzo so she could go get to Paris to complete her biometrics for her Canadian visa. I helped her family get visas. They are now all in Canada, living in Toronto. Their hometown has been sadly demolished not a thesis. I bailed on my master's, but a paper I was part of writing and I'm listed as an author on cytokine induced hepatic apoptosis Independent is dependent on FGL2 fibroleukin, the role of SP1, SP3 and STAT1PU1 composite cis elements. Okay. All right. Punk rock liberal. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> well, I have no idea what any of that is, but it sounds fascinating. Let's see. Cytokine induced hepatic apot. Sounds like chemical stuff. Sounds like chemistry. Are you are you a stoichiometry punk rock liberal? That'd be that'd be awesome. Thanks for writing in. And thanks for doing that. That's incredible. You traveled there, helped them get visas. They're all in Canada safely. Absolutely incredible. Thank you for sharing that story. Next up, Brad from Wrightsville, PA. Pronouns he and him. Hello, ladies. I'm a relatively new listener, having found out about your podcast when I saw AG guesting on an episode of The Politics Girl. I love Lee McGowan so much. I have listened daily since then. I look forward to your show every day. I'm a 51-year-old gay male that is as far left as is about possible. The whole MAGA mess irritates me to no end, but I have faith in our fellow Americans that this will pass. I vote faithfully every time I can. I encourage friends and family to do the same. And I've included a picture of my little cuddly kitty, whose name is Cuddles. She's a rescue baby and the best buddy there is. Please continue to do the outstanding job you're doing. Thank you for your service. Brad, thank you so much. And man, hats off to Lee McGowan and Politics Girl. She's truly, truly incredible. Such an inspiration uh, to democracy. She's a very exceptional voice and thought leader in the movement. I really appreciate that, um, that you found me on her show because she's amazing. And this kitty, I want to pet the belly, looks so soft. That brindle fur looks so, so soft. I'm so glad she's a cuddler. All right, next up from Eric M., no pronouns. Hey, gang, just wanted to say keep up the great work here and to pay paw tax. I've included a few photos of my fur babies Bandit and Bear. They're brothers from the same litter with wildly different personalities. Bandit will fetch just about anything and is insistent that the ball or sticks are only thrown in the water. While Bear is just happy to be outside anytime. They're a mixed breed. Care to guess? Thanks again. And keep up the good work. Okay, there's definitely some sort of terrier chihuahua and something fluffy, like a a shih tzu, maybe, or a it's got the underbite there, maybe a like a chin, like a um hmm. Let me think. Oh my god, they're so adorable. Maybe not a Pekingese. Alright, let's see. I give oh. There's no answers, so I'm I'm guess I'm correct. Eric M, if you want to send the answers in, let us know. But they are adorable. I love them. Next up, Debbie. Pronoun she and her. Hello, ladies. I've been meaning to share my appreciation for all you do, uh, but just sitting down now, you are the perfect follow up. Listening uh, to listening and laughing with Stephanie for three hours every morning on my delivery route. I drive a truck. Fucking cool. I share a picture of our little man, Scully, aka Mr. Harry Pants, and Senior Bagotes, who. We lost last year to a stroke. Um, As you can see, he is what we refer to as an SBD. Small brown dog, a little terrier, a little chihuahua, all love. I'd also like to give a shout out to a local organization called the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch. It's in Westcliff, Colorado. They are a working ranch and welcome and affirming place for trans and other queer folk. They sell alpaca wool online to help with the cost. And they're on Facebook if anyone wants to check them out. Thanks for keeping me happy uh, on the happy side and keep the beans coming. Okay, everybody, the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch. Go, go buy some alpaca wool. Help them out. Look at these guys. That is the coolest looking dog. Oh my gosh. SBDs, small brown dog. fucking adorable. Next up, from ND slash OT, pronouns she and they. Hi, folks. It's been a rough couple of weeks. I will spare you. But yesterday I had a moment. I thought I'd share. I got off a Zoom call with my daughter's Bat Mitzvah tutor, and checked my email, where there were updates to a family thread about Israel. As hard as it's been to bear witness and worry about family, it is heartening to watch. Never again in action, from participation in peaceful assembly to my brother who's stepping up as a reservist to fight Hamas, to my dad who will be willing to uh, who will be going there in a few months to give hands-on humanitarian aid. And my family is taking action where we can. We will not tolerate hate. We will not tolerate attempts to erase our people or any others. We stand in solidarity with all marginalized people. And in the midst of it, I get to plan the celebration of a joyful rite of passage for my baby that so many people have fought for. We will exist, we will persist, we will celebrate L'Chaim. This is a pic of my baby, now 13, 13 years old for tax. I'm sending this to Dana. I know she's not here this week, but I'm sending this baby picture to Dana because it's absolutely adorable. And there she is, 13. Lachaim, my friends. And uh, thank you for sending that in. Everybody, thank you for sending in your good news. I really, really appreciate it. We are going to need loads of it in the coming weeks. So please send it in to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Thank you so much. I hope you had a restful weekend and uh, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow. I think we got... Who do we got tomorrow? Let me check my old calendar and uh, and let you know of the amazing guests that we have this week. Um, tomorrow, we're going to have, oh, oh, a Palm Beach County District Attorney, Dave Ehrenberg. You've seen him on MSNBC. He's been on this program before absolutely incredible legal mind and I can't wait to speak with him and he'll be on the beans with me tomorrow and thanks to Pete Strzok for joining me today until tomorrow please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet take care of your mental health vote blue over Q and bring someone with you I've been A.G. and them's the beans the daily beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane